passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock here alongside. Wei Ting. Wei, happy election day. Oh, thank you, John. Oh, uh, by this point, I guess we, we have a new... Um, oh, we have the same have prime minister. Official? Yeah, yes. is it official? I mean, at this point that we're recording, um, it's only been declared by several outlets, but not official just yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, CBC is reporting that Justin Trudeau will hold a liberal minority government with... Uh, 157 seats uh, reported uh, that they have won. They needed 170 for a majority, so they didn't get that. Uh, the conservatives are listed. Some of these might update a little bit overnight, but the conservatives are listed with 121 seats. The Bloc Quebecois, 32. NDP, 24. The Green Party, 4. And the People's Party and the Independents splitting zero seats. Mm. Okay. Well, they get a Did medal. Vote? I voted last week, actually, early. I did too. I went ahead. Yeah. I went a w- uh, last weekend. Voted mm-hmm. ahead of time. I would have had no time today. Well, yeah, it's just nice to get out of the uh, crowds. Um, like my my riding is actually since I'm renting here. Like I'm still registered at like a different location. So oh I'm, right. So you do you have to? Did you have I, to go travel? A bit of traveling, yeah, out in Scarborough. All right. So you and I are. Well, if you're registered here, you would be in the same riding as me. I think so. I'm not exactly sure where, where the borders are, but yeah, we we do live. We're very close. close. I don't think yeah. people realize how close Wayne and I live to each other. Yeah, We're basically makes... neighbors. I, no. uh, I I can I can yell from my window and Wayne can hear me. No, that is not true at all. But I we'll might do our next to... podcast like that. Uh, yelling through the oh, window. Oh, the, C- the CBC site is updating here in real time. The Conservatives are now up to 122 seats. So, anyway, give or take some of these uh, these totals. But anyway, you're not here for. Canadian no let's result. let's watch the screen for the next two hours and see what kind of uh, adjustments are made if you really want sure yeah it'd be it'd be something else uh how was uh how was your weekend my weekend was swell it was swell did you do anything uh yeah yeah um um or you don't want to disclose? Um, yeah, I did stuff. It was great. Okay, all right. Yeah, the stuff good. was great. How was your weekend? It was all right. It ended with uh, Sunday, where as my warm up for Bound for Glory, 
I saw Joker. Oh, finally. Okay, so we can finally talk about it now. Yes. So, everybody. Went, spoiler or no? I went by myself. Wow. It was a wonderful time. Okay. Shall we t- discuss it at the end of the, the show, or, or how would you like to field this? Uh, let's chat about it at the end. Okay. I want to get into Raw. Gotcha. Just uh, get through this. I've had an extremely long day, so I'm going to preface this, everybody. I'm going to rely on Way for certain opinions of tonight's Raw, because I have never been hit my wall during Raw as early as I did in this particular show tonight. Oh, I got you, man. No worries. It was a new record. No worries. Today, today I was going to... DAZN uh, had set up this this media event with uh, Big John McCarthy at a local gym here in town. So it was close enough that I wanted to go check this out and uh, did some interviews there, including with John McCarthy. So we'll have that on the site later this week. But... I also came because he did like this mini like 45 minute seminar on the history of MMA regulation and rules and then opened it up to a Q&A which uh I think consisted of like many of my questions and then uh I found it to be really enjoyable but we had uh Robin Black was there, Corey Erdman was there. It's like a mini reunion way. Excellent. Wow. Cool. Did you learn? A lot? I did. I I love hearing John McCarthy talk about the history of MMA because this guy was one of the influential people that helped craft the unified rules of mixed martial arts. So uh, just covered a ton of different subjects. And then the ones I had left, I discussed in my interview with him. And then after the interview, uh, we kept talking and he was asking me about Cain Velasquez and stuff. So, yeah. And you explain the unified rules of the WWE to Big John McCarthy, I'm sure. Yes, yes. I explained to him that the the 12 to 6 elbows are perfectly welcome in Saudi Arabia or in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Hell in a Cell matches can end in a no contest. Make sure you you said that. If you need an inhaler, you are more than welcome to. Did you hear about this story? No. On Friday, Greg Hardy was fighting. uh, This fighter named uh, Ben Sosoli. And... I mean, Greg Hardy was winning this fight. It was going into the third round. And between rounds, Greg Hardy wanted to use his asthma inhaler. And he asked a commission inspector who said, is that allowed? And Greg Hardy responded, well, it's approved by USADA. He's declared it. And the guy allowed him to use an asthma inhaler. The broadcasters, which included Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier, are losing their minds that a fighter is being allowed to use an asthma inhaler. He continues the fight, wins by decision, and then afterwards, the fight is changed to a no contest because this is a flagrant uh, violation. Although there is some uh, confusion about uh, if this is written in, this took place in Massachusetts. Um, Anyway, it became a real confusing deal, and Greg Hardy is not a very sympathetic figure given his past, but he really did seem that he was more so the victim of someone that did not know the rules, and you could argue that Greg Hardy should have known the rules as well. His corner certainly should have. Did the referee uh, not see it? Uh, the referee, I, I don't know what the – the referee has not spoken about it either. You would think he would be someone that would zero in on this as well, so – I think there's a lot of blame to go around, but sounds I mean, like Greg a Hardy loses a like, win as a result of this. I mean, sounds and like money. 
Sounds like a wrestling angle. Like the when the refs a bad not, one. Yeah, when the refs not looking, you puff your asthma inhaler, and then you somehow sneak sneak yeah. by with the heel. Yeah, victory. Bray Bray Wyatt pins the uh, Seth Rollins. You think he's won the title, but it turns out when he went under the ring, he took a puff of an asthma inhaler, and the fiend. Uh, it's the new dusty finish where he then loses the title at TV because it's overturned. Maybe that's how they get out of the Falls Count Anywhere match mm. at the end of the month. Wow, interesting. Anyway. It was, it was quite the card. I finished uh, SmackDown with you, and then I watched that main card on Friday, and it was quite the main card. There was this insane fight with Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens, and then Chris Weidman got knocked out in the first round by Dominic Reyes. Joe Lozon was fighting in Boston, his hometown, or just outside of his hometown, and it was uh, just a mauling. This place went insane for him. It was like a really good main card. I enjoyed it a lot. That's great. That was my whole weekend, way. Are you ready to... Uh, Chat a little bit about what is coming up this week on the site. Yes, always. Always. All right. You can say no. I'm uh, sure. I'm ready this time, though. Next time I'll say no. Well, Tuesday night. Tuesday night. It's a big one. It is the return of Rewind Away. Uh, Michael King, our espresso executive producer, has chosen the June 30th, 1997 edition of WCW Monday Nitro, where... Uh, this will make no sense for anyone watching Raw tonight. We had the whole show building up to a reveal at the end of the show. There's that. There's Who would show up? Who would be the impact player? There's a big Ric Flair promo to start the show. Rey Mysterio. Oh, is there ever. Rey Mysterio cut an impassionate promo as well. So a lot of parallels. <laughs> oh. Chris Jericho. Uh, <laughs> there, there was in... not a whole lot of passion in 1997. Well, Chris Jericho featured in a title match. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a whole new, different world. Yes. So we're going to chat about that episode of Nitro as they're gearing up for Bash at the Beach that year. That'll be up Tuesday night for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Wednesday night, we have Rewind to Dynamite. And up next are two free offerings covering all of the, the Wednesday night festivities. Thursday, Cafe Hangout, live, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we're going to make a lot of uh, time for your phone calls. Uh, this week. I know last week we had to race through a bunch of them. We're going to uh, leave lots of time for phone calls on Thursday. And I have I have no concern in my mind that there will be a million things to talk about by Thursday. Oh, for sure. A million. Uh, I also want to make mention, of course, on Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday, we have our theme song contest at the end of the show. So if you're thinking about submitting an entry, you have, I would say, a little bit more than uh, 24, maybe, what is it, 48 hours, perhaps, before we close. Well, less our- than that. We'll be doing the show in 48 hours. You're right. Yes. So less than that. So, you know, a little, little bit more than 24 hours to submit your entries. Uh, and you can do that at forum.postwrestling.com in the contest thread. A lot of entries. Yeah, I haven't heard one yet. So there could be this track waiting for us, John. Somebody making fun of, of like... um. I don't know, my uh, bow-leggedness, and I could be really hurt live on this podcast. Okay, well, all entries welcome. Um, we did go over some of the, the, we won't call them rules, we'll call them suggestions about length, and remember, we have to listen to this every single week, as do the listeners, so it better be good. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, right, so even when it's bad, it's good. That's true. We'll get some entertainment out of it on Wednesday. We'll go through all the entries Wednesday at the end of the show on Rewind to Dynamite. So tune into that. Um, 
as I mentioned, I did interviews with uh, John McCarthy as well as our uh, our good friend Robin Black. So I'm going to have those up uh, later on this week because there's two Bellator events this weekend, including Roy McDonald versus Douglas Lima. It's the finals of the welterweight Grand Prix. Everything's on the line here, way. It's the finals of the Grand Prix. McDonald's defending his welterweight title. A million dollars goes to the winner. And there's hints that this could be Rory's last fight. It's That's one of the stories going into this. Will, will Rory call it a career after this fight? So high stakes for one fight on Saturday. A million dollars would be a great way to go out. That's, that, would, that would be my, uh, my segue into my next career, potentially. Then we have on Friday, Rewind to SmackDown. That will be up for Cafe members late Friday night as we discuss the FS1 edition of SmackDown. Featuring Hogan, Flair, Kane Velasquez, Brock Lesnar. I guess the, the SmackDown go-home show for Crown Jewel. I mean, it'll be their biggest audience, so I would assume most of the, the good shit ahead of Crown Jewel to be to be on this thing. Sure. And then, this weekend, on Saturday, we will be unveiling our latest series, Thunderstruck. Hosted by WH Park, where he is going to be going back and reviewing... Past matches from the career of Jushin Thunder Liger and kicking things off. Episode one this weekend will be the Jushin Liger-Naoki Sano match from January of 1990, which was the match of the year that year in the Observer. And he will welcome Damon McDonald from the Super J-Cast to kick off this brand new series that will be uh, airing weekly. We're going to drop it on Saturday this weekend, and then it's going to be a Sunday show on the schedule from there on out. Yeah, very exciting. And this one has no limits. This like the G one had what you can only go so far, right? There have only been so many G ones. W H Park can go with this forever. He can review by the end of this whole thing every single Juice and Thunder Liger match. The same way Nate Milton will probably end up reviewing every single Dwayne Johnson film by the time he's done the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. I believe um I believe um Nate actually did the calculation this weekend and he would be reviewing Dwayne Johnson movies at this pace one a month. If Dwayne Johnson stopped making movies at this moment, he would be reviewing all the way until 2022. So he's here for the long haul, everybody. I don't that think, is crazy. I That's don't, crazy. Well, I don't think Dwayne Johnson's slowing down anytime soon. So you're, it, you're telling me that he's at Nate just reviewed a 2009 film for Dwayne Johnson. And you're telling me that he's got at least 25 more movies. Well, let me just double check this. I could be wrong. That sounds astounding. That can't be right. Is it? Uh, one review a month till 2022. Yeah, 2022. That's what he said. And that's oh, only counting Christ. his starring roles. How has he done 25 movies in the last 10 years? I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but ha- have you heard of Planet 21? No, I ha- haven't. <laughs> have you, or whatever, Planet 41, whatever it's called. Have you heard of... Uh, I haven't heard of any planet involving Dwayne Johnson. Have you heard of, uh, what is this called, uh, Race to Witch Mountain? That's the one they just reviewed on the weekend. Yeah, before that, have you, did you hear about it? No. What is it a remake? Well, it's uh, oh, my oh point sorry, is, you mean my had I heard of a... this before they reviewed it? Um, that one I had heard of, but had not seen. No. Well, you certainly heard of the Tooth Fairy, which I, I I would expect you to be uh, guest starring on. That one comes out after Planet Fifty One, so I look forward to that, John. You get ready, but this dude's done a lot of movies. Okay, he's a very in demand actor, and um. You know, I, fi- I find it really interesting, like, hearing about some of these films prior to the Fast and the Furious, because they're all pretty bad. 
Well, he he found his niche. Yeah, I'd say so. And a lot of people love his movies. So, well, um, th- this is how we lock people in long term. Uh, WH could be doing this this Liger show forever. I, I would love it if we're we're all seated together at New Year's Dash and Liger gets on the microphone, heartfelt speech, and then says, "I'm just kidding. I'm not going anywhere." And then WH can just keep going forever. Forever. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, Liger is going to be 55 by the time he retires. That is not that old. It's not. It's not. I would say it's a respectable age to go out, you know? Like, very respectable age. Can't really do better, I would say, in ring. It's Unlikely. not like he looks completely out of place. Like, oh, no yeah. one's comparing him to Will Ospreay. But oh, for sure. he doesn't need to be Will Ospreay. Oh, not at all. But I, I, th- I also think it would be really sad if, like, you know, he continues to just come out and can't even do like, like the, the 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 point where like you get to to an age where you can't even walk, you know, and you see people wrestling it, or maybe even you know, it would be really sad to see Liger attempt like a suicide dive over the top rope and nearly fall on his head um, until Moose caught him. That would be kind of sad, or um, it would be really sad to see Liger. <laughs> I don't know. Just have a bad match, I would say. Well, um, did you get to see any uh, Bound for Glory over the weekend? Yes, I did. What did you What did you think? Any uh, Any overall thoughts on the show or any specific matches that stood out? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see every single match, but I did see a, a majority of them and um, the finishes to almost all of them. Um, I thought I felt like it was a show maybe um, lesser in quality than previous uh, Impact pay per views. Um, I also felt like the crowd didn't really sound as maybe lively as previous shows but no um, i was expecting a rabid crowd there in uh in villa park i thought it was going to be a a super hot crowd and you really didn't get at least on the broadcast that uh, i thought it it affected elgin and uh marfuji a lot or marfugi Mm -hmm. marfugi yeah that was a very good match uh you know i was most interested in seeing the ladder match and seeing how tessa blanchard's uh storyline continued i thought she she did tremendous i uh, it was a match that featured a lot of really kind of crazy, you know, activity. But, you know, even though like a lot of my interest going in was for Tessa Blanchard, I, I mean, obviously, I think most people coming out of it are talking about AC Romero and some of the crazy oh. shit that he did as a 500, 400 pounder in a ladder match. It's not often like, you know, I go into like a wrestling show seeing something new, but I certainly saw something new in that match because I've never seen a 400 pound man take a take a bump off a ladder through a table on the floor before. So I don't ever want to see something like that again. That to me was, um, it, it was very concerning to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's very I mean, lucky that certainly he limits was not um, injured worse. Yeah, for sure. I hope, I hope he's fine today. I hope they're all fine. And then of course I, I had a, a weird curiosity about seeing Ken Shamrock wrestle again. Um, I thought his match with Moose was very ambitious, maybe a little too ambitious, I think for, for his own good, but there were things he did that looked perfectly fine. You don't know, like the Shamrock of old, like, uh, you know, the belly to bellies looked fine. Uh, obviously, any any anytime he tried to attempt a submission, it was fine. But it was like the dives that I thought were a little unnecessary and didn't really look all that great. And of course, like some of those spots, like uh, the the ankle lock counter into the the finish, basically, you know, into the into the exposed turnbuckle that just looked a mess. So I don't know. Not the best performance, really, I would say, for, for Ken Shamrock. But I think still has some ability in there. Yeah, Um 
You know, they really didn't. They they mentioned it on the broadcast, but it wasn't like this was a giant commercial for moving to Access TV. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be maybe a bit more of a push for that. That they're going to Access. Um, you know, they said off the top that it's uh, they're about to go into the Access TV era. It's not like it was not mentioned at all. I was just expecting more that you'd come out of that, and that would be the natural follow up is wanting to see this product, um, the flag the flagship show next week when it premieres. I, I would think that they would expect, you know, if you're if you're if you enjoy TNA enough to pay for one of their pay-per-views, I would think that they would expect that audience to jump with them. Um, but, you know, there might be a lot of people perhaps sampling the show through uh, alternative means that maybe need that reminding, too, though. I would still contend that if you're curious enough about impact to like um, even seek out alternative means to watch the show, I would have to think that you'd be you'd be aware. Are you going to be watching their uh, show next week, or are you going to be returning in January for Impact Presents Hard to Kill? I'll definitely check out that first show. You know, I'm always curious, like, with all these debuts in, in October, I, I always want to see... You would expect, like, the, all these companies to present their best effort for a first showing, and I think I would expect that from Impact, so I would, I'd be curious to see that. Um, I'm actually more curious about their, like one night only um the tna thing that they announced Did you see that oh the 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 tna yeah one night only show yeah that sounds pretty interesting yes they're going to uh they're open to allowing any uh wwe talent to be on the show that's that's they, really that's really kind of them they want the return of max and jeremy buck and uh you know that'll be interesting if that happens well, we will see who they are able to attract uh, for that one-night-only show. Man, uh, I would love a one-night-only return of uh, Aces and Eights. You know, maybe <laughs> Claire Li- AJ might want to, like, you know, uh, reunite with Claire Lynch. Like, so much good stuff they could do. I wonder if they could get the Claire Lynch uh, actress. She left there very um, not enamored <laughs> with the world of professional wrestling. Well, I or mean, wrestling I'm, message boards, by the way. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, some other news. Eric Bischoff uh, did his podcast today with Conrad Thompson and talked for the first time about his departure from WWE. And uh, here is a part of the comment. Uh, I don't have to go through this whole thing. He was he was very complimentary to WWE. He was stating that, you know, he was he was honest about the fact that he did not expect this to be some 10-year job, but he was hoping that it was going to be, you know, two to three years and was definitely disappointed that it was shorter than it was, which you can expect, and added the fact that, you know, he has nothing against Bruce Pritchard. He fully supports Bruce Pritchard and at dinner with says, him the weekend. That's right. He had dinner with him at, uh, he said, at Bruce Pritchard's uh, new home. And he's going to stay in Stanford until the end of November. Then he's going to Florida to spend time with his kids, with his wife. And then they will move back to Wyoming. So, you know, he uh, there was no breaking news in all of this. More so just uh, addressing the, the news from last week. But, I mean, what do you think is next for Eric Bischoff in professional wrestling? Or do you feel that the podcast will be it? That his days of being kind of a power player in wrestling, this might have been the last stop for him. That's that's what I personally see. I, I really don't know if there's much of a role for him 
in companies that I think would be able to afford him, quite frankly. You know, I don't I doubt that he would work for a an independent wrestling promotion just for the fun of it. He doesn't seem to me the type with that type of pa the, the type of guy with that type of passion for professional wrestling. I think he would go wherever, you know, he could probably make a good good uh, uh paycheck. And I don't really see the people that are probably well, you know, able to afford him to have a role for him that'll suit him. So I, I really don't see it other than what he's doing right now with a podcast. Yeah, uh, I I could see him definitely, you know, going back to, you know, his television projects and that that business that he was deeply involved with in terms of um a high level pro wrestling position. I just I don't know if the the I offers will be there. I don't know there. if he wants it. Even M- might might not. Um, you know, this might have, you know, kind of uh been the the exit door for him and ultimately he'll be the one to have to answer this of how he assesses his performance during these four months and does he at this age want to be heavily involved at at this level even if that offer were to come his way and as I'm looking at the options like I just I, I don't see him as a fit in AEW or Impact and like what are your options that you're even looking for at this point that um it maybe you know, this is kind of his swan song in terms of a uh, a higher level role within the pro wrestling hierarchy. Perhaps, man. I th- I I thought he would have had his swan song years ago, and then all this happened. So who knows? Like, God, who who? who oh, it's who a might it's a great there? point. After after the TNA run, I would not have expected him to have been. I think everyone was was stunned back in June. So you yeah. can never. The one thing you cannot discount with an Eric Bischoff, and I think this goes with Vince Russo as well, is that those are two people that they marketed themselves tremendously well when wrestling was perceived to be at its hottest in most people's lifetime. And there's always that desire from companies to go back to what worked before. And I think Eric Bischoff represents that era, even though, you know, from the results we have over the past decade, um, they have not been favorable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we shall see. But I, I, it's too bad. Like he didn't have a big enough run that he we we would even get an interesting podcast series series coming in out of this. Like we might get an interesting episode, but I don't I don't know if if there's much of a series to be had. Do you feel that there was any opportunity that Eric Bischoff could have been utilized in, like a non creative capacity, but someone uh, it. On the screen, where he is a very good performer, or do you think that that is just um, it would be a passe role, or just would not fit right now? I think it would be that. You know, um, I, I I agree. I think he's very, he's he's been good in that role, but it's it's just I mean, people are already getting sick of like anytime you see a McMahon. I don't think retreading the same type of angle with the same type of people is really going to change people's opinions. It's you know, at this point, I think even diehard WWE fans are pretty pretty sick of the the trope. Yeah, it as a, and as a manager, maybe, you know, but is he going to move to Stanford to, to be a manager? No, it's it's kind of, you know, they obviously they just completely wanted to divest themselves of Eric Bischoff and not, you know, dress this up as, oh, it's not a demotion. It's just we're we're reassigning him to something else. But I, I do think Eric is a very good performer on screen. I agree, though, that the general manager trope is very played out. But I'll also say that it's not like they have latched on to what the the new hook is. And I think that was something that they miscalculated with the draft was you didn't have 
you didn't get that rivalry across. And having the two warring GMs, if you were to have Heyman and Bischoff, would represent that. But I, I think you have to get away from that. But the rivalry is not there. And I think that's something that has left, to me, both brands very flat coming out of this draft. Like, there just does not... This is two shows in a row where I just did not sense a whole lot of excitement to these shows, uh, to anything. Yeah. It just feels like we have half the stars on each show, and we're really seeing now with the split that there's there's not a whole lot of people that are over at the moment. It's it's something you we will continue to, to notice in the weeks ahead. Um, but, you know, I really noticed on this particular episode of Raw that they are in a deliberate rebuilding phase. And I think you, you, you know, look who closed the show. Look who main evented this edition of Raw. It was the Street Profits. Look who got like 30 minutes of, of airtime. Like, it felt like it was like people like Alberto Carrillo and Sin Cara who never get that shine. But they, they have to rebuild because they don't have any yep. stars on that roster. So they need to sacrifice some of these years when they have a pretty cush deal, you know, without that much pressure on USA that they can use to sacrifice to build new guys, to give them new exposure. And I think that's what you're starting to see. Um, coming out of the weekend, there was um, uh, several injuries, but the most serious is involving uh, La Parca. Uh, this is the second La Parca as well. This is not to be confused with L.A. Park. But uh, La Parca was involved in, in a four-way match at Arena Coliseo for a chaos show. And he was going to deliver a suicide dive onto Roosh. And the the clip has circulated, and you can see where he ends up crashing into the guardrail and is immediately out and was taken to the hospital. He underwent a procedure earlier this morning, and apparently he had been uh, regaining feeling in his lower body and legs. But uh, Super Luchas has been reporting that he was diagnosed with a neck and cervical fracture. So, you know, there... It's certainly a lot of grave concern about uh, La Parca coming out of this, and it goes beyond just whether he'll wrestle again. I think just looking at um, life, his overall health. Yes. Um, So that's kind of where we're at right now. And obviously a very, very concerning uh, injury uh, to La Parca from this dive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, News can change at any time. So. um, You know, like we, we all hope for the best. You never want to hear about anything like this. Uh, when it comes to this industry, uh, it's 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 honestly a miracle. Like we don't hear like you know more stuff like this more often, and that people attempting moves like this usually get away from it without serious harm or injury. But it's a reminder, just you know how dangerous professional wrestling is. And, and this was you know a, a relatively like regular looking dive to the floor, and I'm looking at that impact show. Not just Ace Romero, that Ken Shamrock dive that, like, thank God Moose was able to protect him coming down. And mm-hmm. it's just like the, the risk quotient is very high. And I wouldn't even put the La Parca one as a uh, very risky one. It just, you know, it was, you know, just a set of circumstances that were very unfortunate. But it's it, it's it's uneasy. It's uneasy to watch when, you know, there, there's a lot of times I think we watch things that are just like an inch different and it could have a drastically different outcome. And it's just, it's continuing to escalate that much higher of guys coming in and being ultra ambitious with what they want to perform. Certainly. Uh, The other injury uh, to note was uh, Xavier Woods on the WWE SmackDown tour in Australia. He was doing a tag match with Big E against the revival. And as he was coming off the ropes, just went down 
and was favoring his left leg, and it was revealed later to be an Achilles tendon injury. The the significance of the the injury is unknown yet. If it's a full tear, if it's a partial tear, but he's off the remaining the remaining Australia shows on Tuesday and Wednesday. And if it's a full tear, that is a really significant injury. That's what uh, Edge tore way back when he was teaming with uh, Chris Jericho, and it's like that's a long road to recovery if it's a full tear. So hopefully it's uh, less severe than feared. But um, that mm-hmm. also went down on. Yeah, the uh, the Australia show and just like the the history of those injuries are just like it's just total fluke. Oh man, like, yeah. it's just do it, like he was just running the ropes. It was nothing, mm-hmm. nothing you can really prevent. It just seems like it's man, it's your turn, and it's just bad luck. It's never uh, no injury is is ever you know to to be um, I guess you know um, I, I no injury is good, but I, at least with somebody like Xavier Woods. He can talk so well that I wonder if, like, even with him not being able to wrestle, if he would still be able to play a very significant part uh, with, to to the New Day or or just to the roster as a whole. I guess the other the question is, you know, how much time does he, would he have to spend in rehab? Would he be allowed to travel if it was a long term injury? Can you believe the travel for the SmackDown talent that are in Australia as we speak? That's a long enough flight. They've got to come back for uh, this weekend. Like they, they finish up their tour Wednesday. They come back home. Then they pretty much are turning around next week to go to Saudi Arabia to do the show Thursday. And then the SmackDown crew is needed in Buffalo for the Friday night show. I can believe it because I oh. I know they've done crazy loops like that before. But man, um, yeah, I don't. It, to me, like that's. You always hear like, you know, of people who hate the schedule and it's not so much for, for the amount of wrestling, but it's for the travel being stuck in an airplane for all those hours. That really does a lot of damage to your body. So I hope they're getting first class or something. Well, and that kind of uh, dovetails into our next topic here, which is New Japan announcing uh, a subsidiary in the U.S., uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in America. And they kind of outlined in a press conference their live event strategy next year where they are looking to double their U.S. dates from 12 to 13 that they're running this year. So we're looking at 25, 26 shows next year. These are going to be dates that take place in between Japanese tours, although there's some where they may be concurrent with Japanese tours. But the idea is they are not eliminating any dates in Japan They will be setting up an office in conjunction with the dojo and looking at various pockets of the U.S. to be running. And like this seems to be the unofficial break from Ring of Honor that everybody was looking for. Like this is their strategy and they outlined their – this was phase three of their U.S. expansion plan. And it's essentially adding a bunch of live events and we talk about the talent that are ultimately the – the money you earn is the travel that you have to endure. Um, this is this sounds to me like a lot of guys that are going to be losing a lot of days off uh, to fly across the world to do shows in the U.S. in front of a thousand to two thousand people. Hmm. Hmm. I you know the, them opening up a head office here. I mean, would suggest that they might hire more though. You know, maybe hire uh, more or or maybe bring their usual roster of like kind of American stars, but. Uh, 
American stars that I guess since have a lot of them have gone on to, you know, work for AEW or elsewhere. So I, I, I personally, I wouldn't expect like all of these 20 something shows to be like full on New Japan shows. I just really, something tells me that that's not what they're doing and that, you know, you'll start to see maybe Okada on a certain show headlining and then maybe you'll see Tanahashi headlining on another show. Uh, for for the wrestlers traveling sake, I, I kind of hope that that's the case. But of course, like to break into like an already very competitive market. And I would suggest like maybe a move like this is even a couple of years too late, you know, when everybody already has such a fill of like NXT, AEW, everything else. Um, is there as big of a demand for live New Japan Pro Wrestling when it comes no. to your town? Yeah, I don't uh, think so either. Th- there's a novelty to it, but it's. Like I, I believe, like you, you hit it on the head that it's it's not going to be top to the, top to bottom dressed up New Japan shows with the talent. I think you're going to get similar to what we saw with the the ROH shows, where you'll get a selection, you'll get some names, but you know of the big main event talent, maybe you're getting one of those, and the rest will be you know you're going to fill it out with people that are based in the U.S., your U.S. talent, and. Uh, mixing it in with, with some New Japan proper talent. Now, how about this? What if what if they brought Stardom talent with them? I don't see that happening right away. Um, I I think like they very much want these two to be distinct. Um, at some point, if you know if you're not drawing well, I I don't know if Stardom necessarily would increase your 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 business. Um, right. And ultimately, what your fan base wants to see, they want to see like a Royal quest kind of show. I think that's what they want to go see when they Mm -hmm. get new Japan. I don't think they want uh, a stripped down version outside of maybe one time a year. So I I think that the office building it, I think like that mentality very much like when the UFC was expanding here to Canada, the idea of having a headquarters here, it tells this country that you are planting roots that you are want to expand. And I think that there is a, a long-term strategy to having a, a U.S. subsidiary, but just to run live events, um, it just seems like it's a real, it, it's tough on the talent that are going to be doing a lot more traveling now. And it's for not these giant shows that they're, they're not going to be, and they may go lower because you're just adding to uh, already. I, I don't think you have this gigantic demand for new Japan more than once or twice a year in your market. No, I mean, you know, I think the the elite really were a big part of of their American expansion, and um, that it's certainly a huge loss. So, you know, you you would expect them to to maybe craft their own kind of American ace or or ace to appeal to to this demographic. Um, Could you see them being aggressive uh, when it comes to ROH talent becoming available? That you yeah. have these this incentive now to go after that talent and we can perceive that there isn't much of a relationship any longer. And those are the kind of names you would want to go after for these kinds of uh, expansion plans. You know, I, I guess it depends how, how, how respectful they, they need to be. But to me, it's like, get Dragon Lee, you know, try to get Roosh. Um, who else would you say, like you think it would fit in a new Japan setting from Brody King? Yep. Yeah. The thing is, like, you sign so? these people, it's like your roster right now is loaded in New Japan, and you sign these people, how many dates can you give them, and are you just, you know, just crowding up your undercard to make more eight- and ten-man tags to fit all these people, uh, because they want to have regular 
tours as well. And we can see ROH, if they want to keep someone, they will offer good money as well. And yeah. um, I'm you know, disappointed because an- I'm, I'm reminded that I we're very unlikely to see PCO uh, in, a, in a New Japan ring at this point. Oh, like PCO, PCO and Togi Makabe. Maybe Togi Makabe from a few years ago would have been. You, I want to see. Ok- I want to see Okada PCO. <laughs> well, it's uh, P- PCO will probably get what, like one last really good deal here when his contract's up in December, and I would see ROH definitely wanting to retain him. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy that's you know he has killed himself over this last year uh, working with Ring of Honor. Yeah. All right, that's uh, that's all the news to get to tonight. Uh, you can follow along at postwrestling.com. Any updates to stories we will uh, have coming for you. But now we're going to move on to Raw from Monday night in Cleveland, Ohio. This was the former Quicken Loans Arena, the site of UFC 203 that we attended way. It is now called the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. That's a mouthful. Hey man, you want to go to the game tonight? We're gonna go down to the uh, the old RMF, the Rocket Mortgage tonight. You want to <laughs> go hit up the Rocket Mortgage? Yeah, man, the Fieldhouse. Let's do it. Rocket Mortgage for life. There's absolutely zero accounting for taste when it comes to uh, sponsorship and business. I suppose Rocket Nothing. Mortgage. Why is it a Fieldhouse now instead of an arena? Uh, some some places go with Fieldhouse. Um, where the SmackDown was on Friday. Is the there an actual field ba- in there? Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Yeah, but is uh, there a field? I is there grass? Not not at uh not here in Cleveland. Like this is a this is a basketball arena. So what the fuck are they talking about? It's a wood house, if anything. Well maybe there's an indoor field somewhere hidden. Alright. I'm trying. The show opened up and Vic Joseph welcomed us to a new era. Following the draft. And the new era kicked off with Ric Flair coming out to usher in the new era of Raw. He came out. He's all decked out. He says LeBron is gone. They need a champion. And all they've got is the nature boy. And then he said with the most proud delivery, we're going to Saudi to beat the hell out of Team Hogan. Yeah. Um, You know, I guess to their credit. There is no vocal negative reaction to this, though I feel maybe more of a silence. Um, yeah, at that mention. Uh, if you want to see uh, someone someone dodge like no other, uh, Ariel Hawani interviewed uh, Paul Levesque today on his show and asked him about if any of the talent uh, kind of have reservations about going to Saudi Arabia. And <laughs> Hunter's answer was... No, no, no. We're we're not about the politics. We're about entertaining. We go, we entertain millions of people. That's all this is about. It's just about entertaining. That's it. Entertaining. He had to have said entertaining like 85 times in this answer. It sounded like he might have been filling in for LeBron in Cleveland. Oh, very astute. So Flair puts over Team Hogan as great wrestlers and great men, but they are not at the level of his team and he's got the last hand to play. Tell your girlfriend that, buddy. I used to know your mother. Amazing. Dude, Ric Flair he was, was on, having the time of his life dude, he on was this on, show. He was on fire here. Um, oh. Like, you compared this appearance to so many of the other ones he's had recently, and 
I guess I can't even really say that because we barely seen him talk on a live microphone recently. But you see this and you really wonder what all the fuss was about, what all the concern was about. Because this man, at least on this night, was as sharp as ever. No rambling, just pure charisma. Well, and his flub ended up being awesome later. Uh, we We will get to that. He introduces the final member of his team, and it is uh, another. He said it, he pretty much set him up as like he's another Ric Flair, Drew McIntyre coming out. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, this was, like, did he say st- like something to the to the extent of like, oh, this guy's really popular with the ladies. He'll, oh, God, he'll dude, party. this guy basically said that like this guy runs through women. Like a hot knife through butter. Like he pretty much was just saying this guy can barely keep it in his pants. That was how he introduced Drew McIntyre. The Scottish psychopath. Who yes. can barely- so now he's been endorsed by Vince McMahon and Ric Flair in two versions of this character. And yeah. Drew just cut a quick promo and Ricochet came out uh, to kick things off. <laughs> yeah. The Scottish psychopath who can barely keep his dick in his pants. Yep. Uh, Drew McIntyre has been social media dark since he's been off TV, so he's got a lot to get off his chest now. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> God, he's, tweet he hasn't tweeted in a month, guys. This is crazy. <laughs> he's been out with all these women. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they say, like, you know, like, when a fighter is about to, like, fight, you they have to abstain from, like, sex, from, like, you know, junk food. Drew McIntyre abstains from social media. That's how he gets his fire for his matchups. Oh my gosh. He deletes his I, Twitter app. I can't wait till we're old, old people way, and we've got like guys in their 70s telling us stories about this one time on Twitter. That's going to be the, the setup for a great story. Sure. Yeah. What what is what is like the Twitter equivalent to somebody like Ric Flair? The bar, I guess. I guess the hotel. Yeah. Or strip yeah. club, maybe. Twitter, so. the strip club of our modern age. So they had a really lengthy match here. Um, midway through, they go ringside, and Sarah Schreiber interviews Ric Flair during the match. And he just cuts this crazy promo on Hulk Hogan and then says that Hogan, he's going to see him on SmackDown. And he goes to Sarah, where are we on Friday? And he's like, I don't know where we are. Cleveland. Uh, he said, that's tonight. Yeah, where that's tonight. Where, where are they, Friday? Kansas City. And listen, <laughs> this felt in another era, people would just look at this like this was a Sid gaff or something. In this modern era, this was so refreshing to just hear someone that was, wasn't was so painfully produced that just – it's Ric Flair. And this was not the, – the world didn't fall apart no. because he just couldn't remember his, his damn city to plug. It was just so refreshing. Oh, an imperfection like that made the, made the whole thing feel that much more real. Like it was completely improvised and off the cuff and high energy. Um, there was no need to save it because it was already perfect and – uh, again, Flair to me tonight felt like he could really do no wrong. If this had been on a tape show, they would have they would edited this out. And I thought this part was great. <laughs> trying to think how they would edit this one. You cut away, and then you hear like a voiceover. Like, 
Where are we, Cleveland? Woo! AJ doing Flair's voice. Fan shot. AJ. AJ finishes the promo. Yes. So, you know, they they were very – they restrained themselves on commentary until about, like, three quarters of the way into the match, and then they had to bring up the Spider-Man comparisons to Ricochet. And Lawler mentioned, well, Superman is from Cleveland. Uh, he let, uh, Ricochet. What? No, he's not. Well, that's what Lawler said here. Like, is Smallville in Cleveland? I have no idea. No. Isn't he from Kansas? You'd know better than me. Well, I was almost certain Lawler said Superman. Okay. I don't anyway, know. I'm not sure. Are there any superheroes from Cleveland? Um, not to my immediate uh, knowledge, but um, Stipe. Uh, if you consider that him a superhero, sure. The um, the Miz. Okay. Long lust. Then uh, Ricochet landed a quebrada, which Dio Madden said is proprioception. What does that mean? Uh, if you look it up, it is. <laughs> I I will absolutely butcher the definition of it, but thankfully Dio uh, had the definition for us because he read it out that uh, proprioception is the sense that though which we perceive the position and movement of our body, including our sense of equilibrium and balance, senses that depend on the notion of force. Huh? Huh? I really don't understand. Like a spider? Here's an example. Here's an example. The way that we can tell that an arm is raised above our head, even when our eyes are closed, is an example of proprioception. Other examples may include your ability to sense the surface you are standing upon, even when you are not looking at the surface. Oh, So it's, it's feel over other senses. Sure. Yeah, like a spidey sense is is what I maybe they're getting at. I I sure I get it. I I would assume Ricochet has a pretty high level of that. Well, then he took a border toss into the corner and a sit out power bomb, uh, which definitely uh, he felt the proprioception that probably registered on his pain uh, threshold. He hmm. kicked out of the sit out power bomb. Then there's a quick DVD and a shooting star press off the top. Big reaction for that kick out. Uh, he goes to the 630, rolls through, recoil gets blocked. He's dumped to the floor, and then Drew sets up, hits the Claymore, where uh, he pins him at 17 minutes and 42 seconds. Lengthy match to kick off Raw. How long again? 17.42. Right, yeah. I mean, this ended at the bottom of the hour, so like the first half hour was was between Flair and then this thing, this match, I mean. And I thought it was actually a really good match to start the show off, but not really met with like great reactions i would say because i think of the lack of um lack of star power you know despite the fact that they've showcased Rick- ricochet so much it, it, this is not a crowd that i think recognized him enough as as a star to warrant a 20 minute matchup but i again i thought this whole show they made a re- very clear effort to try to give long matches to these performers who um you know otherwise don't really have much of a a, a way to shine and that includes Ricochet. To a lesser extent, Drew McIntyre. I thought both of them did really well. I wish, though, with Flair being this good, that they would have gone to Flair a bit more, maybe even put him on commentary, because I think he would have certainly added 
to um especially some of the my, slower... my enjoyment it's well, it would have been something but but honestly some of the slower parts of this of this match where i think again it's it's great to have like great in ring but i think you need personality to keep people's interest and flair of course would would fulfill that that quota very well so at least they went to him once god we're talking about flights think of like Flair yeah. having to do that flight to Saudi Arabia, and even more so Hogan with that guy's back in the shape it's in. That's a long flight. Well, they're making a lot of money for that long flight, so well, I'm sure they'll be okay. Oh. Drew attacks him afterwards, double-arm DDT, and then takes him and hits him with an inverted Alabama slam onto the steps and then celebrates with Flair. And then Drew starts doing the Hogan mannerisms in the ring, cupping his ear, and then he yells superheroes aren't real, but I sure as hell am. Yeah. Yeah. We got the, we got the line in, even though Ricochet couldn't deliver it. Um, Like who are they catering towards with the superhero thing? Like everybody I know thinks it's corny as, as hell. So is it like the 50 plus crowd? Is it the children that are identifying with this guy who believes in like superheroes? They promoted that later tonight, Rusev will be on the King's Court with Jerry Lawler. And then they showed Cardale Jones of the DC Defenders. And no, these are not people that are uh, defending uh, the choice of uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman. These are the different DC Defenders. Very good. Did you like that one? I I was worried in my head if I crossed over anything there. Uh, The DC Defenders of the XFL. I think we're going to get a lot of these over the next few months. Guys who just happen to be in the front row at these major WWE shows. Yeah, they gave the, the XFL dude the same equal billing as the entire Cleveland Browns. The OC were interviewed. They went over the Street Profits attack last week. They're rookies. They haven't earned their keep. And they should not have been given this worldwide platform as the hosts of Raw when we have charismatic individuals like us and then AJ said that getting that smoke is illegal here in Cleveland. And then Gallo said that Cleveland sucks. Yeah, he said Cleveland doesn't rock, it sucks. Yeah, this was not the audition for them to be the hosts of Raw. Maybe that was the point, you know, like to, to for them to appear like three really corny, like older men to contrast against like the cool, coolness of the Street Profits. In that sense, they were very successful. Uh, Then they had this video about guys that made an instant impact last week, and they just showed highlights of Andrade, Buddy Murphy, and Aleister Black. And I think that, you know, you brought it up, that you can certainly see with this show that they they are not looking for just one week, snap our fingers. Like, they have their concerted younger talent that they're trying to get over and they're trying to get a number of them over. It's not, Mm. they're not just isolating one guy either. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, somebody like Buddy Murphy, Andrade, of course, and Aleister Black, all three. I I love the fact that with this video package, they kept it to only three. Cause I think we saw like earlier in the year when remember like the initial set of like NXT call-ups with like, uh, EC3, Lacey, was it was, it was like six. It was like six oh. different acts that were all the coming up the, at the same time. By the time the videos were done, like you don't even remember the first one. So the fact that they only kept it to three is a positive, and it shows you who who kind of they they you know Paul Heyman wants to push. Um, did you also like the fact that Dio Madden comes back from this 
video calling them my raw dogs yes i heard that i thought they'd leave that line for lashley later <laughs> oh god oh my god next up alistair black <clears throat> i'd like to think that there is a um reason to my madness I'd like to think that one day all this strive will provide me with an answer as to why. But at the same time, this sight of me provides with me this hell like fire, like rage. And it is beyond redemption and clawing at me as we speak, like a man dancing in the moonlight. And boy, is it ready to pick a fight. You know, I don't even pay attention to these anymore. I just wait for you to tell me what he said. Because I think you do it way better than he does. Wait, I write these out every week. I have no idea what any of this means, nor how someone... This could be the original thought of somebody that gets these words onto a paper. Can, can you do me a favor and just like write, like put it on a notepad and screen cap it and then tweet it out to the world? I think the world deserves to see these promos in writing. Maybe I should go back because I save all my reports. Maybe I should put them all together and put it out as like a, a, a mini novel at the end of the year. Oh, like a, like a poetry book. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think you would get sued for that, but I think WWE should do it. Who sure. Who is going to take me to court to claim ownership of this? Aleister Black. Okay. Paul Heyman, maybe. Whoever wrote it. Um, he cut this one with no shirt. That was pretty special. Oh, it was symbolic. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. He's bearing his soul. Yeah. Alistair Black took on the Jason Reynolds. Uh, it was just Black having a showcase here, attacking him with kicks, spinning elbow, flying knee, Black Mass in a minute 45. I mean, really simple jobber match. And, and I think, again, you you know, it's it's good that they're investing this amount of airtime for Alistair Black. Clearly, they have... He's being treated as a big deal. And I feel like I've said those exact same sentences like six months ago when they did this initially. So my hope is that we get a program relatively soon because this is already their second time doing the jobber thing with them. Then the AOP have taken over the room. They were signed to Raw. There is no team hard enough to fight them. We are violent men in a violent world and are going to get very violent on Raw. The next chapter will be written in blood and written by the authors of pain. I guarantee it will not be written in blood in this era. Probably not, no. No. Um, But maybe some lacerations. Yeah. Or some heavy bruising. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready for these guys to, to get out of that dark room as well get into the ring but you know this was good like i think the first week after the draft you need to remind everybody who these guys are after they went undrafted is that right oh man they were not drafted and then they were listed and then they were just signed i guess somehow they weren't were they on smackdown or raw they were raw right smackdown they had moved to smackdown last year i think oh god well whatever what a run King's Court, Jerry Lawler brings out Rusev. Lawler says what happens in a marriage should stay there. 
but they're all public figures, and it has been salacious what Lana and Lashley have revealed. Lawler is saying that? Uh, yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Rusev stops the fans from chanting what, saying, he's a Hall of Famer, which was a funny line, and it did stop the chants. Yes. Yes, it did. It worked. Rusev blames, blames Bob Lashley, who has poisoned Lana's brain, and Lashley will be crushed. And he says, I may be a fool, but I still wear my wedding band because every day I hope and pray that we will pass through this and live happily ever after. We also learn of, of some of Lana's complaints that Jerry tells us. Rusev's been sending too much money to his parents in Bulgaria. He's been getting in the way of her modeling career. And he's been getting in the way of her spending. So that has been the um, the foundation of this uh, fracturing of the marriage. Yeah. Lashley appears on the screen with Lana at a restaurant. And Lana says she has needs. And Bobby takes care of them. It was Lana's dream. Lana's dream to go to this restaurant. And Rusev never took her here. But Lashley did. You know what would have been a hell of a response by Rusev? We don't fucking live in Cleveland. <laughs> they live in Nashville. You're right, yeah. Um, well, they've been to Cleveland many times, though. Working. Mm, when do you have yeah. the night off to go to a restaurant when you're, when you're here in town on tour? Rusev and Lana lately? I mean, they're barely, they're barely <laughs> on TV, so I'm sure they had plenty of free time. Yeah, well... Just like last Rusev year. could have easily said, in my free time, you think this is the city I would be choosing? That would be a good... <laughs> that'd be a terrible comeback for a baby face, but would be truthful. Lashley then says... It, would, it the wouldn't old... even be open in Cleveland that late. Everything closes there at like 7 or something. That's right. That's right. Remember that night we tried to go get dinner afterwards? Yeah. Whole city shuts down. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find a place. Lashley says, out with the old, in with the new. And the video cuts out. Rusev says, I'm going to go deliver the message in person because I know where they are. And he runs to the back as Dio says, a man can only take so much. This is the breaking point. He's watched them pretty much have sex, but now they're having dinner. Specifically at this moment, though, they were eating like some type of like dessert. It really just looked like a plate of whipped cream that they were eating. It was. And I was like... They're already having dessert. By the time Rusev leaves the arena, they're probably going to be gone. But it turns out maybe they started with dessert because they ended up at this restaurant for like the next two hours. So <laughs> maybe it was the um, the appetizer. Oh, whipped cream appetizer. It's a fancy restaurant. Rusev wouldn't understand. Is that fancy to there. serve whipped cream as an appetizer? I don't know about that. Maybe it was it's creme fraiche. That thing. I mean, it's also nine at night by the time this is happening. So, well, late dinner. You know, like, I can watch this and I can get really upset, or I can just embrace the ridiculousness and be fully on board. This segment wasn't even ridiculous, though. It's just. Oh, come on. On a wrestling show, it's pretty damn ridiculous. What? uh, what? Compared to their other angles that they've done, this was the most tame. Fine, fine. But, like, Lana wiping whipped cream off of Lashley's face. Like, that to me should have no place on a professional wrestling show, but you know what? It's raw, it's WWE, it's good shit, I'm jumping on. 
you know it's it's it, it like think about the fondness you might have had john in hindsight for like a choppy choppy or peepee or like katie vick i'm watching with those same goggles at this point just give in well we had to follow that with andrade and zelina vega coming out uh Zelina explained that Andrade's music is a siren to warn his opponents that their careers are in danger and said, do you even know what Sinkara means? It means without a face. So I guess she was also accurately describing their main event mix right now. Oh, <laughs> and he will also be without a victory tonight. And that's set up. A monumental match because we were about to get a two-segment Sinkara match. Again, unprecedented. But I don't blame them for trying. They're giving a spotlight to people who don't typically have it. I mean, would this be my first choice? That's debatable whether or not Sinkara is that person on the list. But I, I thought it was a clear attempt at something new. So before the match... They explain that Sinkara lives in El Paso, Texas, and he was part of the first team responders after the Walmart shooting in August that killed 22 people. And then they showed this in-ring segment at a recent show in El Paso with Sinkara and other uh, first responders uh, to the to the shooting. That's really cool. I'm really glad they, they made the time to, to present that on TV because I think, I mean, something like that will make somebody more identifiable than it. I would say, you know, backstage promo, for instance. Uh, and it feels like we, it's been years since we've seen anything for Sinkara above being, you know, enhancement talent. So here they really kind of put put that particular event over and gave him a lengthy match. Uh, Jerry Lawler was just blown away by what Sinkara means in English because he kept bringing this up. Uh, Vega would distract whenever Sinkara had the advantage. Uh, Andrade did the three amigos and continued with the Eddie mannerisms as he climbed to the top and got stopped. There was a springboard into a powerbomb off the turnbuckle by Sinkara, and then Andrade recovers, double knees, and there's a Pescado into a Hurricane Rana on the floor by Sinkara, but then Vega distracts. Andrade snaps him on the top rope, and Vega hits her Rana off the apron, and that leads to the hammerlock DDT finish with Andrade getting the victory. I like this match, too. I thought Sinkara, to me, like... He took this rare spotlight, and I thought he made the most of it. He delivered some really impressive-looking offense. But, you know, of course, I think the, a lot of the criticism will be just how long this was, given the lack of a feud and the lack of star power. So I I understand maybe the mentality of, like, letting guys like this get on this stage to really sh- to, to have a great match to showcase what they can do, but I definitely feel like they could have done more to set it up, you know, to, to tell us maybe who Sinkara was in the week prior. Or, or to just give us something a bit more, give the fans a bit more of a reason to stay tuned for 20 whole minutes. Charlie was with Umberto Carrillo, who says he has a lot of respect for Sincara, and he says that uh, when you go against Andrade, you're taking on Andrade and Zelina Vega. He believes he'll be a future Universal Champion, and he knows that he'll be a great champion and he won't be the kind of universal champion that plays with fire like Seth Rollins. Okay, you did not do that promo justice because you delivered it with way more aptitude and charisma than this person did. So 
man, this poor guy, like clearly he was very nervous about doing this. Uh, clearly not somebody who's who's maybe had a ton of experience speaking in front of a camera, cutting English promos. But God, to have to like on top of talking on live TV in English, reading these lines, nobody could have done it. I mean, unless you're Ric Flair, I guess, on this show. But God, you know, this I'm- is who Flair should be with. Flair and Humberto Carrillo. Okay, maybe sure. Like, like I'm look at this guy. This guy is like this young. Uh, this is, this is the, uh, this is the Mexican Ric Flair right here. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not as convinced yet, but maybe, okay. Uh, you know, I'm glad everybody's getting a chance, but it, to me, this dialogue sounded extra unnatural coming out of Humberto Carrillo, who really does not have. It it was very tough verbiage. And I think Humberto Carrillo, he has a very, he clearly like has a great look and I think he has he has something that will connect with people. Um, sure, but this was um, yes. This would have not be the kind of champion that plays with fire like oh. Seth Rollins. Again, how about this? You, how sound, about this? you All... sound good, John. Actually, when you say it, at least a lot better than how this came across. But well. All weekend they're promoting that Seth Rollins is going to address why he burned down the Firefly Funhouse, and tonight. He didn't address any of it. No, he just said, like, <laughs> sometimes you've got to make hard decisions, and that's what I did. That was pretty much his justification for it when he confronted uh, Carrillo later. Yeah. As if, like, though, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think of the logic of, like, Humberto Carrillo's words, because, like, <laughs> he he went from talking about, like, Andrade being a future world champion to I'm going to be a future world champion, too. But not one who plays with fire. Ooh, what the? What kind of like? As if no, like the, the the best line was later when Dio Madden called Seth Rollins an arsonist, and immediately he's getting like pushback from the other commentators. Like that felt to me like they do not want to introduce that notion that Seth Rollins is an arsonist. It was the best. Okay. Anyway. You know, Dude, I, this I, this angle's doing a number terrible. on Rollins. He oh. felt so flat on this show. Oh, I'm surprised they're, they're still going along with it. But oh, anyway, just like man, there's gonna be no baby faces left. So, yes, don't play with fire. The Seth, uh, the Street Profits responded to the OC's promo. They made fun of AJ's hair. They're putting up '90 symbols in the air with the Wolfpack sign, and mothers love them more. And they're main eventing Raw tonight. And when asked who their third partner would be, they teased Flair, Booker T, and Kurt Angle, but said it would be none of them. And it's someone that doesn't like the OC. That was our that was our hint of who would be the third partner in this ultra confusing match later tonight. Yeah, yeah, setting up a bit of a tease, um, but that wasn't the main event here. Our truth is hiding. Is that what you were alluding to? Yes. Yes. Our truth is hiding on what was he on? He was on a uh He was just hiding behind like a crate or something. Yeah. He ends up getting rolled up by Samir Singh. Sorry, he runs into Samir Singh and then he gets rolled up by Sunil, who wins the title, and our truth is confused and thinks he's seen double. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, congratulations to Sunil Singh, first WWE championship. Is this the first uh, Canadian 24-7 champion? 
No, Jinder. Jinder's won. Did Jinder win it? At the airport, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Why do I even remember please, that? Please do not ask me for the lineage. I could not tell you. I'm sure there have been like 10 like Canadian champions by this point. Did you see his promo for uh, oh, Jugmeet Singh last I, week? I did not. It did not bother. Was it good? Um, dude, it was like he was kind of a wrestling promo. It was like, it was actually, I thought, like, pretty ridiculous. It make me um, not want to vote for Jagmeet Singh. Um, you know, he was just, you know, he was just talking about, you know, the, um, everyone is equal and Jagmeet Singh is representing all of us, but he was doing it with like his Jinder Mahal, I'm cutting a wrestling promo delivery. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a, a strange mix. I mean, in the end, they're all cutting promos. Or, that's, that's they? what. A political campaign is about. Yeah. Hawkins and Ryder are with Sarah Schreiber, who says, Some say you are underdogs, and they are grateful for this opportunity. Kurt Hawkins said huge, a huge amount of times. And then they wonder, I wonder if we'll have Pyro tonight. They walked out. Spoiler, they didn't. And they took on the Viking Raiders. I don't know if they've ever. Yeah. Pyro. Hmm. The the idea is they are underneath geeks. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's literally the job description. Yeah. Um, they got a bit of an advantage on Eric. Ivar got the tag. Seated Senton out of the corner. Eric scoop slammed Ivar on top of Hawkins. Ryder made the save, and then they murdered Hawkins with a Viking experience in three forty two. This was a short match, and I thought a very entertaining one. To me, I actually thought this was a perfect length and. Enough, you know, to give a bit of a fight to the challengers, but not too much to make the champs look weak. I found it thoroughly entertaining. Ivar continues to just really be a standout uh, on the show, period. He's a great fit for this, like, Vince McMahon WWE style. Uh, the team together, you know, just always brings great intensity. Uh, only thing I think that's really lacking for them right now are promos and storylines. It's not just enough to have good matches, which, you know, they're not even really having great matches yet. But I certainly think it's time for, for more character, more, more, a bit more to get behind than just the in-ring. Lashley and Lon are in the restaurant, and one of the owners of the restaurant, presumably, comes over. He heard that Lana's husband might be showing up. I guess they've got Raw on in the back. And they are asking them, we will cover your meal. Can you please respectfully leave Lashley is not concerned about Rusev showing up, and after the break, Rusev barges into the restaurant and gets into a brawl with Lashley as Lon is screaming for Rusev to be taken to jail. Yeah. I thought we'd get a segment of Rusev in jail, which I thought might be entertaining, but oh, that's we did next not week. see him. It's going to take him a week to get to jail? He's going to be in jail for a week, maybe. Oh, okay. That's fine. Lock him up. Know. Yeah. Uh... Maybe he'll suddenly reappear in next in the in a jail in a different city. Maybe He's we'll got no him. family, and Lana would be the only one to post bail, and she declined. So he's got to stay there for a week. He's out of money, right? So yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll go to trial. Um, perhaps, perhaps he'll stay in jail, and then Lashley is going to post bail so he can get his hands on him at Crown Jewel. That would be a quite the leap, huh? Okay. Is that is Rey that the Mys match you think? You think that's happening at Crown Jewel or? The, or well, no, they're on the teams, right? They're on Flair and Hogan's oh, teams. Oh, you're right. I yeah. forgot about that. Okay. This was pretty anticlimactic, I have to say. 
You know, yeah, when they do like their on location shoots. Yeah, what's the it, twist? It, there was no like big crescendo to this other than like they did the brawl, but it felt like it was requiring a follow up later in the night. We didn't even get a food fight. No, no, we just got horrified looks on people's faces. Yeah. Ray Mysterio. Man who in 2019 is after best on interviews of the year. Comes out in his sling. And he's been training Cain Velasquez. And he just wants to thank all the people for the outpouring of love that they have displayed for Dominic and for my family. As a man, that has meant so much. And I am so thankful and humbled by it. And that is why you are my family. It's like, this, this is like the only baby face they've got going right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can they screw this up? Is he going to turn on Dominic? Is he going to turn on Kane? Like, how will they mess this up? Are baby faces this hard to program? I would say Ray yes. is just killing it. I, yeah, I think I Ray's yes. great. I don't know. I mean, I, I would say they are more difficult than than creating heels. Um, because you you need people that the audience respects, and you know you don't really get more respected than somebody like Rey Mysterio. Uh, and it, it really helps that he can talk now too. He said, "We're all going to celebrate together at Crown Jewel when Kane wins the title and puts another scar on that." Bastard Brock Lesnar. And yeah. then just the, the the cherry on top of the promo, he said, and family, be easy on Marco. He's a great talent. <laughs> great promo huh. from Ray. This was yeah. awesome. This was uh this was among my favorite things on this show. Yes, for sure. He's he's been excellent. Paul Heyman appears on the screen. And starts speaking in Spanish to start things off. He says, Ray knows that Brock has been drafted to SmackDown. And God knows we cannot violate these uh, the church and state differentiation here. But Heyman cannot be drafted anywhere. Huh? Why? Um, they just introduced these things without any... Why? Well, Is Sami Zayn able to go back and forth? Yeah, I mean, that's true. Maybe, well, because he's a writer. They never said that. Well, yeah, I don't know. He uh, negotiated for himself that he can't be drafted to one particular show, I guess. Well, maybe you should be a writer. No. You just explain the story to me. He goes over Lesnar's history with Cain Velasquez and says that it won't be a celebration for Cain because for nine years... Does this sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Brock Lesnar has looked in the mirror every morning and looked at that scar. And he has been salivating like a beast lusting for revenge. And that revenge comes on October 31st. Ray is serving Kane on a silver platter like dinner to his beast. Oh, trick or treat, bitch. Awesome. Great, great, this great, a great promo. promo. Yeah. And then Ray cuts him off and he yells back in Spanish. Don't know what he said, but I am all 
for guys talking in their native language because it sounds great. Pretty sure he just told uh, Paul to tell Brock that Kane's going to kick his ass. Something yeah. to, to, to that effect. He said, motherfucker, I'm going to Saudi Arabia dressed as the devil because you're going to hell. Ooh. Shelton, Benjamin walks out and says Ray can't defend himself or his son. That's why he got Kane to do it. And he's upset that Kane Velasquez got a title shot. And Shelton says, well, my buddy is Brock Lesnar. And goes over their whole history. It took them. Shelton Benjamin has been in this system off and on since 2001. They finally allowed this guy to do this promo in 2019. That he trained and roomed with Brock Lesnar at the University of Minnesota. Brock is my family. And aside from Heyman, no one knows him better than me. And asks what will happen if I push you around. And he starts bullying Ray. And he pushes him. He said, am I going to get a title shot for that? Huh? Is this going to get me a U.S. title shot? Is this going to get me an IC title shot? Shelton, I don't know what the hell happened to this Shelton Benjamin. But all of a sudden, he was like this awesome prick bully in this segment. This guy who, uh, God bless this guy's talents. Promos have never been one of them. And... Then Kane's music hits, which we'll get to that. But what did you think of Shelton Benjamin here? I I was like, I was like very surprised by this performance from Shelton Benjamin. I thought it was awesome, and I think maybe shows it shows you that he might have had this within him for a while now because he seemed incredibly comfortable doing it. He he played like a really great heel, bullying a smaller man um, to the point where like I found myself wanting ready to like slap slap him back. So um, him as like a heater for Brock, they tried it before, but like it was like a one-off. Um, I think it's a great role for him because Brock's never around uh, and Shelton is need something. And I think this is that something that they can keep this up. So Cain Velasquez comes out to his new music, which boy, um, just everyone running to download this theme. He goes to shoot in uh, – Shelton tries to go shoot a single, and Kane blocks him. And he goes for this high crotch, drops Benjamin, and starts attacking him with ground and pound. Please. You... I don't know if there was much pound, um, but I think some people's expectations did hit the ground here. This – there is something very uh, – there is a large disconnect between – a guy with a entire career of striking technique versus having to do worked striking technique. And oh yeah, we just we this, saw it, we saw it with Tyson Fury, and this week we saw it with Kane. Ooh, um, it's like these guys are like obviously clear. Like these guys could obviously do significant damage here and are being mm-hmm. ultra careful uh, in their new surroundings. But this. This did not come off well. He slammed Shelton down again and then applied this rear naked choke before tossing Benjamin to the floor. Um, yeah, I just I thought the Kane physicality here. You you do not want to draw comparisons to Shane McMahon as a former two time heavyweight champion, and that's what so, some people were doing here with Kane. So is that what what the criticism is of Shane McMahon now? Like the guy is such a great legitimate striker. He he's so realistic like because he could do. <laughs> this guy is a walking weapon. He's got to pull his punches. Oh he, no wonder he they could look kill so bad. a man. Yeah, no wonder they they look terrible. Uh, you know, there's certainly a real art to making a rest uh, a punch look 
like it hurts, but not having it hurt. And Kane has a long way to go. I feel to at least from 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 this point to 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 get it to a convincing part, um, level. Yeah, this was people will overlook it, you know. And I think the match, like in the match, Brock, I think will actually take some of those punches. You know, Brock will be like, lay it on me, like that. But Shelton, this, though, this is, is not the style Kane has been training. You know, I'm sure he is now, mm-hmm. but like this is a very different form of pro wrestling that sure. he's being asked to do. And tonight was certainly not, um, yeah. uh, you know, compare this to what you saw at triple mania or but, the, the Hulu but, theater show. But I think, I think that's their secret weapon. You know, they don't want to pull out him doing the Rana's and all that. They want to set people's expectations up to think that you're going to get an MMA fighter in there. And then once he pulls off like the Rana's, it'll be like what they wanted the reaction to be for Brock doing like a shooting star press. I think it'll be that type of thing. I think that's the kind of thing you bring out for the rematch down the road. I don't think you're going to see that in this first match. Just the way this uh, one's being built. And it's almost like the story that Kane is coming into this as a fighter that doesn't hasn't learned anything. I suppose I don't know when he's going to be doing a rematch with Brock. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not really banking on that being immediate. But, you know, he's also been training with Rey Mysterio. And if you're training with Rey Mysterio in storyline... Well, what's Ray going to teach you? Certainly not how to punch or do a rear naked choke. It's going to be doing a Rana. Maybe he'll even pull out a 619. Well, he is new to all of this, but if this is how his striking looks at Crown Jewel, you and I will be forced to name him Kane McMahon. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Maybe that's going to be his, uh, his, his advocate down the road. Shane and Shane. Kane. Shane and Kane. And the Shane main... and Kane equals pain. The new tag Ooh, team. <laughs> you may be throwing Sami Zayn in there as well. <laughs> and Kane. The other Kane. And Killian Dane. <laughs> Ooh. A whole stable. Oh, wow. Man. I could do this all night. All right. But that would be driving you Kyrie Sane. Oh, God. Okay, moving on Too from much. real. Um, I know one more, uh, the Cleveland Browns were shown in the front row. This one dude dressed up as Scott Steiner without the shirt was just awesome. Yeah. Something. Sure. Oh, you didn't. Was it awesome? I don't know if it was awesome. I thought it was oh funny. It was funny. A guy without a shirt in the front row. Who's like making millions of dollars on the Cleveland Browns. I, I think that's kind of funny. Hilarious. Uh, Riyadh season's begun and the undertaker got sent over to Riyadh to stand on a float. So at the same time that we had the WWE float uh, on Total Divas last week for uh, the Pride Parade, uh, The Undertaker was off on this float in Saudi Arabia. Sorry, my printer just uh, decided to clean itself right now. I don't know if you can hear that. What? (laughs) I I don't even own a printer, so I I can't relate. And I didn't know they cleaned themselves, especially without... Uh, human instruction. They've got a cl- self-cleaning func- function. And uh, I'm assuming uh, like, it might not even pick up, but you hear that? That's okay. It just sounds like you're in a workspace. It's okay. it's ambience. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. You know, like, uh, man, this giant float, Riyadh, I, this was not like, come to Riyadh, it's great here. You know, not like what we saw in the first uh, Saudi Arabia show, but I definitely see them like, releasing the shackles on that and slowly oh this this Riyadh season is going to be I think you're gonna get tons of 
promotion of that on oh, this yeah. show. Like it seems like WWE is directly – they're one of the major events they're presenting. I think yeah, we're going to be much more closer to infomercial uh, Crown Jewel than the last two. Yes. I, th- I think they honestly believe like we've escaped the controversy and people are the, – the the majority are just accepting of what this is now. We're just here to entertain. That's all we are. We're, we're here to entertain. We do these shows for free if we could. And are they wrong? Because I've certainly not heard any criticism or at least, yeah, not really any at all. Like they've been more upfront than they've, they've, they have in, in a long time with uh, doing these press conferences, uh, you know, everything with Tyson Fury and Kane. I think it's I think it's more indicative of where people kind of slot WWE in terms of are are the is this the company we're looking to be making ethical and responsible choices because I think what the NBA is going through right now granted that's not Saudi Arabia it's China um they right. are catching a lot of flack for that and more directly to Saudi Arabia um I've seen much more criticism of the Anthony Joshua fight coming up uh in December that they're going to Saudi Arabia for that. But WWE, like I'm, I'm seeing nothing. Mm. So, I mean, for them, it's like they, they're doing these shows regardless. If there was mm. a, an outcry, they're still doing these shows after they went last year, uh, right after the Hoshoji murder. That to me was like, we have crossed the Rubicon and whatever we endured during that period, we got through and we were fine after. And I I feel they, are invincible now in terms of what they believe, what public perception is, it will be fleeting and they'll move on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't really have your public reputation be any worse. I guess you can, but uh, never mind. Then we had Seth Rollins, Umberto Carrillo. Um, Did we pass that promo? Oh, we did. did, I totally skipped over it. I'm sorry. Charlie was with Seth Rollins who says maybe the fiend has gotten inside his head, but maybe I'm in his head after last week. The fiend is different. Once you step into the ring, you will change forever. And then he says, just a sec, Charlie. And he wanders off to Humberto, who's just standing around. You know what, Humberto? I did burn down the Firefly Funhouse. It's not something I wanted to do, but it's something I needed to do. It's what being a champion is about. Making choices that are not popular, but are right. If I have to ever isolate a sentence that was the before and after mark of Seth Rollins as a top babyface, this sentence might have been it. <laughs> you know what I did? You know, I did burn down the Firefly Funhouse. It's not something I wanted to do, but needed to do. The story is that, like, Seth Rollins is having to, like, dig into, like, the dark side of his his psyche to to do things like this, you know? To, this is his Kishin Liger. I get, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. Against, I guess so. Uh, I, I, Minor, Minoru Wyatt. Yeah. I just, um, it's just. Will he a, go to the darkness? It's such at, a wide, wide gulf of, like, how much cooler one is than the other. Yeah, like Seth Seth now has had to dig into his his evil side to uh beat t- to stop the match with Bray Wyatt and Hell in a Cell and then the week after that he burnt down a the dude shack. But it's just not something that I think the audience is really connecting with cuz they don't really look at these acts as as evil as they are just lame. So I just don't think 
at least, you know, for me, it's it's really not having the intended effect. Are we to believe now that the fiend is not human? Like we have not even gotten an update about this guy whose uh, perceived home was lit on fire with him inside of it. I mean, he was off SmackDown. We got no update on this guy. Nothing that like he's he's. I think we've established that the Firefly the fly Firefly Funhouse is a set backstage at WWE Raw because it's not like Seth which Rollins. is going there after burning it down. They promoted a Firefly Funhouse segment for SmackDown on Friday. Well, you could rebuild sets, I guess. Not that. So, what did Seth accomplish? Well, a lot of a uh, a he bit burnt of a, down a set. Yeah, a bit of a cost to the art department. Maybe um, more work for the art department. Some uh, cleanup. Pretty inconvenient, I bet. I don't see how this inconveniences Bray, though. It's like, that's... Okay, build me a new set. I guess... It, well, maybe... Maybe he really liked that one. This was a special one? I don't know. Yeah, it's a special blue. So, he... Then offers... A chance for Carrillo to take him on tonight on Raw. Non-title, of course. So that's our match here. And Madden says that Carrillo called Rollins an arsonist. And this is where they said he never said arsonist. <laughs> that's Randy Orton. The crowd starts chanting for Bray Wyatt. Tremendous. Vic Joseph then says, in reference to Bray Wyatt, he is literally living in the mind of Seth Rollins. Mm, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that works. Literally. Carrillo hit a reverse cross, then got tossed into the barricade vertical suplex for the commercial, hit this twisting splash to the floor. And, you know, Carrillo was doing a lot here, just not a whole lot of reaction. You could, it was mm-hmm. so clear to see what the goal of this match was and to showcase Carrillo. I just didn't think they really had the crowd for it. Certainly, you know, again, um, I found it really interesting maybe seeing something like this versus seeing, you know, like a Marco Stunt match or or a Darby Allen match on AEW. I think it's a match like this and a lot of the matches on this show suffer from a crowd that would rather see stars face off against each other than somebody try to build another star. Unlike, you know, maybe an NXT or AEW crowd who I think would be more willing to give in-ring quality a chance. But I think... Even in AEW or NXT, you know, certain people have a deal of a a, a, a bit of a a portion of airtime before they are presented in front of a twenty uh, in front of a live TV crowd with twenty minutes, and I don't think they really achieved that with any any of the guys here. So, it's a start, though. Yeah, it's it's going to be a long road. You're not just like they have really struggled to get people over, and now they're trying and. It's not going to happen in one week, and you do need that patience factor. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrillo got um, a couple of kickouts here, and then he got caught with a buckle bomb, a uh, super kick, but he got away from the stomp, rolled him up for a two count, and then hit the Aztec press, which was the most impressive looking thing in this match. Rollins kicks out, then he goes for another Aztec press, but Rollins gets his feet up, super kick, stomp, and pins Carrillo in 12 minutes, but you had Rollins endorsing him afterwards by shaking hands with Carrillo. I thought Carrillo looked really solid. I don't know if he did enough for me to impress here, because I thought, I, I, I felt like he, I felt like he 
felt like you know like like a dozen of other cruiserweights that they have under contract. To me, there's nothing all that special, and certainly nothing special on the microphone. Where I think he's a long ways from being ready. Um, I you know, but clearly, like Heyman sees a whole lot in him. WWE must see a whole lot in him. I just I question judging by an appearance like this whether or not he's the best choice for this role. I'm pretty high on this guy. Like he's had some, he had some great matches in that breakout tournament uh, on NXT. I think he's got a great look, um, super you know, like youthful look. That uh, I mean, they need younger guys. Um, so you know, I I just don't think that this match got to the level that you were hoping it would be. Like this would be you know taking the champion to his limit before falling at the end. Very similar to the Jericho Darby Allen dynamic last week. So R-Truth is then backstage with a referee and tries to sneak up and rolls up Samir, but he's rolled up the wrong guy. And there he realizes there's two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And they left with the 24-7 title. So Sunil remains champion. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Street Profits come out. Uh, this was an awesome entrance where they came through the crowd. These guys felt really popular on this show, and I can't say that about too many different people. Well, I mean, I think it's it's the difference between somebody making a Raw debut after one backstage skit versus months of buildup here. And I think you clearly saw the difference in reaction to like the Street Profits coming out, where I think they've actually done a really good job building anticipation by you know, letting the crowd be attached to their characters first. It makes this first match on Raw feel like a special occasion, at least to me watching at home. And I think their entrance works really well in front of yes. the big crowd. Looks, I thought this entrance was great. These guys are just loaded with charisma coming out. Um, looked, looked crowd way gets better, into it. Looked way better than a full sale entrance of the, of the same sort. Yeah, yeah. I thought the entrance was great. It really set the scene for these two. The OC are out next, and AJ cuts a promo asking who the partner is. Is he invisible? Is he imaginary? Or could you not find anyone? And they replayed from the the attack from last week. We go to break, and then we come back, and the match begins. And after all this buildup, it's a tag match, and AJ is not in the match. Yeah, why did they do that? This was perplexing. I didn't realize this until three quarters into the match when I realized AJ's on the floor. Why do they even need a third partner? Yeah. Like, why even set up the mystery at all? This was the way it was set up last week. It was built up all show long that this was a six-man, and then we do a tag match. It was... I just did not understand. Sure, in their, like, logic, there's some reason why this happened, but it certainly would, you know, I think left viewers a little bit confused. Montez Ford got tossed to the floor by Anderson and Gallows connected with a running boot. And Jerry Lawler said that when the OC were kids, their social network was called outside. Hmm. They went through a break, uh, heat on Ford for a long time. He was eventually able to tag Dawkins in and this is when Styles shoved Ford off the top into a spine buster for a two count. And the referee is warning AJ and then ejects AJ when Kevin Owens music plays. And Kevin Owens is the third man. He comes out. He attacks AJ with a stunner. 
Ford hits a Topecon Hero, and then Dawkins hits a Spinebuster to Anderson. Ford, with the Frog Splash, pins Anderson, and the Street Profits leave, celebrating throughout the crowd, including with a young baby. Great closing shot of Montez Ford holding a baby to close the show. It was a very strong like first win for the Street Profits. But, you know, unfortunately, I would say by this point, the crowd was clearly quite skeptical and not necessarily that reactive to everything that this crowd was doing. But the the, the footage and I think just like overall the presence of, of them being in a main event on Raw, entering into the crowd to celebrate, that was a net positive overall for, for these guys. And that's kind of how I felt about this entire edition of Raw. It was like more of like invest, an investment, you know, than, than something that, that would... The, that would be reminiscent of a, just, you know, a star-studded edition of Raw. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't call this a great episode of Raw, um, but it ended strong with the Street Profits. I thought that was good. Uh, but I cannot help but think, and maybe I will be proven wrong, I felt really bad for Kevin Owens. It just feels like this guy... Why? I feel He's this is going so backwards for him. Ugh. To go back with AJ, I'm not dying to see this feud again. Oh, God. I didn't Over even, the U.S. title? I, I like, didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh. Jeez. I just felt this was, you know, he gets to a point and it just, it just this just feels like he's getting, yeah, he's just, just pulled back. Granted, this, this show beyond Rollins and who knows, that rule might be up. They desperately need a baby face. The, the, so. the difference with AJ and, and Owens is that their their roles are switched now, though. AJ's, yeah, yeah the heel. Kevin is the baby face. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just see Owens feuding for the U.S. title. It's a title that really means very little. Um well, we'll see what they do with them. Um, they didn't have, it, you know, Shane's off TV, so it's not like you could continue that. It's also not like, you know, he could feud with Rollins right now at a world title level, right? They're both baby faces. Right. So maybe this, yeah, maybe this is just kind of a temporary thing. I, I thought this Raw was like a real statement about rebuilding from the ground up. You know, I thought they made real effort to try to give new talents a lot of time to showcase themselves in long matches. Um, they have sort of the cushion to do it right now with this guaranteed five-year deal. So maybe if you stay this course, hopefully by year three, you might have some big stars on your hands. But Are you telling me we got it's three years away that I have to go through these three-hour well, shows? Listen, it's not going to happen. The dividend gets paid. Look at who they have on this roster, especially now that you split them up. Um like, who are your biggest stars? You got Randy Orton, who I don't know how active he's going to be, like, in the next se- several years. We, he doesn't even have a, he's His contract's due, also. Um, Becky Lynch, was he in, in, was she in, like, Australia or something? Was there a reason why her and Charlotte weren't on this show? Yeah, she was on the Australia tour. It, it was it was still the old SmackDown roster that was in right. Australia. Gotcha. Okay. Because they had the visas all set up to go there, so, but, yeah, the people Becky that were... But Becky's not SmackDown before. Um, I guess she was on that tour. Right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. She was raw. But anyway. Um, but, you know, okay, you couldn't use her. You couldn't use Charlotte, I- I'm assuming. And Charlotte's in Australia as well. Yeah. Right. And who else really is there? Like, that's Seth. No, Rick they don't Ray. have a lot of stars right now, even even with those those women. I mean, that's that's in, that enhances things. But it's, you know, on both shows right now, like, you have split them in half. And there's not that many people that are over right now. And that's... You know, you are going to have to have patience with some of these talents to get over. And patience has not been a virtue of this company for a long time that, that you know, 
Yeah, that's the big question is if like, you know, Vince watches a show like this and he'll panic and just all of a sudden end the brand split again. Another wild card. I certainly hope not because I'm curious to see what Heyman can do if they stay the course. What what he can do with a guy like Ricochet or Humberto Carrillo or the Street Profits. Um, certainly it's like, to, to me, the brand split has already kind of had its effects when you see somebody like Shelton Benjamin be given this amount of airtime and do a really good job. Um even like Ryder and Hawkins getting some some time to talk and wrestle, I think is a positive as well. All right. Um, should we do some feedback? Yes, let's. All right. Why don't you start things off? All right. Let's go to this. Uh, first of all, what did you guys think of ed- this edition of Raw? I could see a lot of people hating this one, but let's let's see what you thought. 4.58. Oof. Paul from New Jersey says... I'm sure much can be said about Ric Flair, but the guy can still cut a killer promo. So natural, so fun. Glad to see performers like Andrade and McIntyre being showcased. Both gentlemen possess the necessary skills to be world champions. This certainly seems like the show that is making an effort to push new and different talent, so I found this show to be a step up from what we've been getting lately. Every time Aleister Black cuts a dark promo, dark room promo, I can look extra forward to rewind a raw. raw. Was hoping to see the Iconics, but it appears many of the women on the Raw side are in Australia. Shelton wins most logical performer of the night. And what did you gentlemen think of the commentary tonight? Um, Dio Madden is, I don't know, he's, I, I think, trying to find his voice still. Um, he's, he, he's been more of a presence this week, you know, maybe getting more comfortable to speak up than he was in the first couple weeks. Yeah. I I certainly see potential, you know, like he, I feel like he would be able to connect with the audience, especially a younger audience in a way that your other commentators can. Um, But it's, it's going to take time for him to like find that, that unique comfort, I would say. All right, let's go on over here. Uh, By the way, uh, Becky is not on the SmackDown tour, so I was mistaken. Okay. Well, Um, I wonder why she's on. She wasn't there. Yeah, very um, strange that uh, I don't know what the deal was. If um, she was, yeah, I'll we'll try and find out. But anyway, she okay. was not on the SmackDown show today in Australia. So we continue and go to Nick from Atlanta. WWE programming is something I throw on in the background while I pay attention to something else, and even that's rare. Tonight's show is exactly meant for that. Throw it on while you do anything else and glance over to see if you're missing anything. Spoiler, you didn't. This product is an inconsistent mess. I wish I could understand some of the decisions they make. Why turn both Sasha and Bailey heel and then put them both on SmackDown so the top two women on that show are both heels? And then Alexa Bliss is a face? I guess. No real turn there or any story to show why Becky or or why Bailey or Alexa changed. Rollins seemed like a heel, but like Roman, I'm sure they will fight it. Why did Seth burn down the Firefly Funhouse only to bring it back the next week? What was the point? Why did the Kabuki Warriors turn? Did the do they blame the fans like Bailey? If the WWE can't care enough to give me a consistent story explaining anything that happens, then why should I care? Right. Um, I mean, with Bailey, there is a story. It just might be kind of, um, I don't know, a bit tough to follow when it, when you're maybe not looking. Yeah, I, I, I can't really agree with, with like what he's saying about Sasha and Bailey, especially because like, they are already friends, so just because they they switch brands, why would they suddenly have one of them turn? 
if you're going to have either of them turn, I think it would come after establishing that they are friends. And then maybe you have one or the other turn in the weeks ahead, not right. immediately. Um, and the Kabuki Warriors have no explanation there. They have not given you anything for that. Yeah. We got a Jeff from St. Louis who says, turn Seth already. Saudi Arabia seems like an amazing place if you don't care about women's rights, uh, homosexual rights, or journalists who speak against the crown. I guess with the NBA China fiasco, WWE and the Saudis are making their move. Street profits could be the future, but who has faith that they will be get, they will get booked right? Hopefully, they won't be jobbing out in six months. Finally, the Raw Tag Team division could actually mean something shortly. The Profits, Raiders, and AOP are legit teams. Let's hope they get a chance. Brandon from Oshawa. Why did top pick Andrade have to cheat and barely beat undrafted Sin Cara? Why is Aleister Black not just immediately ending that job guy with a black mass in five seconds? Goes on to say, wasn't the main event supposed to be three versus three? Where the hell was Kevin Owens all that time? And why did it randomly become a tag match? Shelton Benjamin and Ric Flair were the best part of this show. I think coming like out of this show, nobody really remembers. At least I don't. Who was drafted in what order? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think a big deal is, is probably made, made out of it that like, do you remember who was actually drafted fifth versus who was undrafted and drafted on the weekend? None of it matters. And like, all that matters is how they get pushed afterwards. So if you're telling me if coming out of this show, Sin Cara, like is a top push star, well, that's who I'm going to focus on as a fan, you know? I mean, it, it's it's maybe good and bad that no one remembers the draft this week, re- oh, like one week removed from it. I mean, I think it should have lasting impact. And that's a story in and of itself of how you, um, you know, the drafting order could have been a story. But I think everyone has just moved on from the draft. I don't think it was all that memorable in how it was presented or how people digested it. I also think, you know, to, to Brandon's point, like, I think they they are. They want to have enough, long enough of a match to like showcase what somebody can do. And, you know, maybe as much sense as, as it would make up like Alistair Black just like killing a guy in five seconds. It doesn't keep him on TV all that long. I have no problem with what they're doing with him right now. It's like he, he is not someone that I'm too concerned about. All right, we go to a Gee guy from Charlotte. This show was in a word. Predictable. More Lana Rusev cuckolding, which was predictable. Another awkward Alistair Black promo, which was also predictable. Another awful AOP promo. A Raw guy feuding with the SmackDown champion and the Raw champion feuding with the SmackDown star. Also predictable. Um, okay, to be fair to them, like this is... I feel like I'm defending them a lot, but I also feel like I, I, I think they should be defended for a point like that. This is like leading to Crown Jewel, right? And it's it's a it's it's a it's a show that was created before the brand split, um, and those are all crown jewel programs. Now you can definitely criticize like the timing of the draft, but they were booked for Riyadh or Saudi Arabia for that date, and they were booked to have uh, their new TV deal kicking at about this time. So I give them I give them some slack for that. Now let me ask you this: Why? Why has Cain Velasquez not been drafted? Special signing? We don't even know what brand he's on. Wow. Maybe that's a special edition of the show. All right. 
he should be sought after, shouldn't he? What if he wins the title? I'm sure he is. Can yeah. he go rogue? Can he just go to AEW with the title? You, listen, like your 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 criticism perhaps is, is that they haven't explained it. And maybe it, you're right. It should. It is worth you know if they cared about I think creating that like believable infrastructure of this being a real sport, they should throw a comment out there. It, okay. If he wins the title, where does he go? I think that's a logical yeah storyline hole that I imagine will go into Crown Jewel not having an answer to. He probably maybe he's got the same deal as as like AOP, where he just like signed with a specific brand off screen. Yeah, so until then, he can appear on both shows, I guess, as he will this week, which Brock cannot. Brock can't go on Raw, we established tonight. Yes, yes. Tyler writes, I'm glad to see some different faces getting their chances on Raw, like Carrillo and even Shelton Benjamin. Kane looked awkward and nervous once he entered the ring. Street Profits' debut was was a success to me in week one, but I wonder if Owens and Styles can possibly have a worse feud than they did in 2017. Five out of ten. Noah from Vaughn asks, how did Bray rebuild his funhouse so quickly? Did he get money from the insurance company? Wasn't that angle last week meant to end the funhouse? Was it end to, to uh, was it meant to end, end the funhouse on Fox? Clearly not, if they did it. No, it's back this Friday, so it's yeah. fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I don't know why it was done. Mind games. Mind games, everyone. Brandon from Ohio. I got home late from work and was just about to start the show when I checked Twitter. Saw so much negativity. I generally see uh, enjoy things. I just decided to get a late start on King of Pro Wrestling. Looks like looks like it's a two sitting show. Maybe I'll finish on Friday. Okay, so you didn't watch anything of Raw, but thank you for your feedback, Brandon. It's it's greatly appreciated on the Raw Review Show. <laughs> we go to Brian from Sacramento. I'm a first time poster, long time listener. I've been a fan since I was a small child. I'm 45. Today's WWE product is just so hard to watch. I decided to put Raw on in the background while I cooked dinner. My only knowledge of what's going on lately is from your reviews. I tried to get engaged, but it wasn't interesting at all. Now, AEW on the other hand... Sorry, I heard that the wrong way. (laughs) Sounds like you tried to get engaged. (laughs) Tried to get married, but it's just... It's not Uh, interesting. My marriage was really boring. (laughs) By the way, I tried to watch Raw. Now, AEW, he continues. Now, AEW, on the other hand, is can't miss TV, in my opinion. My coworker, who is 26, and his buddy, who is 28, just started watching Dynamite, not knowing what AEW was before turning in for the first time. I found out after episode three. Neither one was a fan of wrestling in any way previously, and they love AEW. I asked them what they thought about WWE, and they said they thought it was a kid's show. Feels like the beginning of the Attitude Era all over again. Keep up the good work, guys. All right, let's do one last one here from B Detroit. What up, Doe? I walked in the house around 9 p.m., so I rewound the recording and ended up skipping through most of the beginning of Raw, and for a second, I thought about watching all the promos, but I would much rather listen to John deliver all the wonderful lines WWE had to offer us tonight. Overall, a meh show with matches that would have been better if they had a lot shorter time. Five out of ten fake fake restaurant brawls. That was worth it to hear you say, what up, though? That's what you get if you listen this late into the podcast. So thank you, everybody, for your feedback to Raw, whether you watch the show or not, um, and you just want to send us random thoughts. We we appreciate it. Um, Wednesday, we'll be back. Rewind to Dynamite uh, with our theme song contest. We will crown our new theme that will be embedded into your ears for eternity on Wednesday nights. Uh, But before that, 
Post Wrestling Cafe members, Rewind Away will be out Tuesday night, June 30th, 1997 episode of WCW Monday Nitro. We'll see if their reveal can top Raw's reveal on Monday. Um, We shall see. We shall see. Kevin Owens certainly wasn't dressed as the mystery man at the end of Nitro. What a suit. Hmm. All right. All of that is coming out this week, so you can go check out postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and that's it. 